Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. A few months ago, I asked you via my newsletter if you'd like to share your story on love and life, and several of you responded and said, yeah, I'll share my story. You've heard from Quinn Taylor in episode 114. She was one of my former students, one of my favorite students at Chicago State University when I was a professor there, and she lives with chronic kidney disease. It was so great to reconnect with her and even better to be able to share her empowered story of living with chronic illness and thriving. Yes, thriving in the midst of it. That's episode 114, so check that out if you have a second. Today we're speaking with Kate Griffith. I met Kate via Instagram, which is one of the ways I meet so many of you in my community. Kate's story is one where... She was struggling in the dating scene. Nothing was happening according to plan. Again, something that I know so many of you can resonate with. I certainly felt myself over the years. Kate and I went back and forth when she commented on some posts and we DM'd a bit here and there over the last several years. And then I had a really great DM come in that talked about a relationship that had been a friendship for many years that had now turned into a romance. I know you'll resonate with Kate's story. She's pretty much like all of us. She had the plan. She had the goals. She had the dreams. And she was taking charge of them with her education, with her career, with her travels. But love was not cooperating. Kate's here to share the things that helped, the things that didn't, as she navigated her way through her years on the dating scene. This is kind of a love and life listeners tell all episode. So sit tight. My conversation with Kate Griffith right after this. Kate, welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you, Dr. Karen. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to share your story. I love a word of inspiration for those of us on the dating scene who put in the time and I know you are one of them. Yes. (laughs) And I think it's one of those things where the dating realm, you feel like you're beating your head against the wall. And I don't know anyone who's been single longer than they expected to be, who hasn't had those utter feelings of self-doubt and almost believing that perhaps it is their fault somehow, which of course is why I wrote my book and why I do what I do. But tell us a little bit about your journey and where you went through some of these same kind of things and where your mindset was and where you are now. Yeah. So I have been just through a ton of ups and downs and, you know, you mentioned like beating your head against the wall and feeling like I am doing something wrong. And I remember having those feelings for like, you know, a stretch of a couple months, and then I'd be fine for a couple weeks, and then it would come back. So it's very much an up and down thing. But basically, I, my first boyfriend, my first serious boyfriend was when I was in college. And we dated for two, two years, and kind of had a unfortunate breakup. He was studying abroad in Italy and found a new girlfriend. And so we broke up over Skype. It was a like five hour Skype marathon of a breakup, which I don't know how I survived that, but I did. (laughs) 
That's brutal. That is brutal. Yes. What was her name? Like Francesca or something? <laughs> you know, I don't even remember. I think it was another American girl who was in the same okay. study abroad program. So it wasn't that exciting. You know, it wasn't like I was replaced by someone super exotic. And, exotic, right. You know, and no offense to any Francesca's no, out there. It's no, a gorgeous name. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's, it is, it's that American woman's worst nightmare that he goes abroad and someone just so much more exotic right. and cosmopolitan than we are. <laughs> Right. It's like a Roman holiday, you know, (laughs) Audrey Hepburn. No, I don't think it was that amazing, but I could be wrong. (laughs) And so after college, I moved to a really small town in Iowa and I taught high school and theater there for two years. And a lot of people set me up on dates with people they knew. But to be honest, Karen, I'm just not a farm girl. Mm, So none of those really stuck. And so I moved back, I moved back to Illinois and have been here for about nine years, still teaching high school. And yeah, I, I really stopped, stopped seriously dating for about six years and was kind of just doing my own thing. I went to graduate school out on the West Coast. I got a master's degree in theater and did a lot of traveling. That master's program was three years. So I was really just kind of, you know, living my best life and making a lot of friends and seeing the sights and just really enjoying myself. But again, there were times in that period where I was feeling very lonely and and like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Like I wasn't on the right track for a 25, 26, 27 year old when I was single. And around my 30th birthday was when I started getting back seriously onto the dating scene. And I remember it was the Mother's Day. I think I was turning 29. So it was right before my 30th birthday. I had gone to a Mother's Day church service and I re- I went by myself and my birthday is right around Mother's Day. So I just felt like this impending sense of doom that I was going to be 30 in a year and I was at this Mother's Day service and everyone was there with their babies and their husbands and I was in that church for about 15 minutes before I burst into tears and literally ran out of the church. Okay, I was going to recommend you do that if you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I was literally going to be like, I really, if I were here, like in real time, like a little in your ear, like leave, just leave. Yes, No, it's, that's too hard. It was miserable. And so I was driving home just, you know, a total wreck. And I, I called my mom and I, I love my mom, but this, this moment, and I, I hope other listeners have shared this situation. My mom is a very sweet lady, but the advice that she gave me, I call, I pulled over on the road and called her tears streaming down my face. And she goes, Kate, you're not trying hard enough. You're not <laughs> trying. <laughs> and I was oh. like, you know, and, and as, hard as that sounds, because you have said a million times on Instagram and on your podcast that, you know, effort doesn't equal results with dating. Yep, it does not. Yeah. And so, but that, I mean, 
it was the kick in the butt that I needed because I, I, and I know this goes against everything you say, Karen, but I <laughs> we'll I, edit this out, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> this is coming out. I know. This is not my actual advice, but I got back on, <laughs> I got back on the dating apps and really the, the transformation that happened between the age of basic, like 30 to now I'm 32. I feel like I've kind of been on a journey and where it ended up had nowhere has nothing to do with where it began. So I'm not crediting my mom with saying I wasn't doing enough (laughs) because the guy I'm dating now, I didn't meet over a dating app. He's a friend of mine that I've known at work for the last six years. So, but I will say that I've gone through an incredible like personal journey just with, you know, the different things that have happened to me and people that I've dated and things that have gone terribly wrong. And I don't know, I'm rambling, but (laughs) (laughs) no, I asked you a lot. I was like, tell your story right now, the whole thing. (laughs) No, but let's, yeah, yeah, let's, let's delve in and and pick apart some of these elements. Um, First of all, I'm thinking about here you are, this accomplished, educated woman, you go to Iowa and you're teaching and then you go to the West Coast and you get your graduate degree. And throughout all of this, there's that professional realm that you're getting after it and you're you're trying hard yeah. and you're getting the reward, right? Because you apply for the program, you get into the program, you work hard, you get the master's degree, all of these things that are in your control, which your mother also felt like your love life was in your control as well. Yeah. And, and I get that. And I, you know, I have a chapter in the book about <laughs> it's not that you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. And I literally have a, a, actually another friend named Kate, whose mother said that exact same thing to her. I'm not kidding you. Yeah. So, and it's not that it, that we don't want to put any effort in whatsoever, because obviously if we just hole up and recoil into ourselves right. because it's just too hard to be vulnerable. And I right. get that feeling too. And we can do that for a time, but mm-hmm. we do have to put a little effort into it. Of right. course. And I think that's what I was doing. I think yeah. I had just kind of retreated into my, my work and my master's degree and my traveling and had really kind of written off dating And so I think in that moment, and God bless my mother, she was probably very like, what else do I say? There's nothing wrong with you. You're not doing anything wrong. You just have to get out there. Um, So I don't know. (laughs) Well, and and, and it's the mindset too, because again, there's that part of, man, can I, I I should be able to control this. I'm a take charge type of woman. Right. Right. And so it flies in the face of every other aspect of life where we really, the effort is rewarded. So it messes with our mind. And because it messes with our mind, then we start going down that rabbit hole of maybe it is me. And, and, Mm -hmm. and and we know it's not, we really know it's not, but we fall prey to that. And it's so normal. And I'm curious if you had this feeling because I did too for over the years there I had kind of three different feelings one was I am empowered woman of this generation and I am fine without a man yes I want one but I don't have to (laughs) it doesn't have to define me and I am strong and independent right there was that part and then there's the part that would have like a, a lonely Friday night where I was like, I don't feel strong. I don't feel independent. And I want a guy around and I want that support and that comfort. And then there was the middle part that felt almost embarrassed that I still wanted a man. Like I shouldn't even want this because they were women who fought for independence and the women's Mm -hmm. movement. And I still want a boyfriend. Yep. Almost shame. Yes. I 100% 
I 100% identify with that, that feeling. Yeah. And, and just feeling like, how can I justify all three of these things at the same time? Like, right. Feeling like being able to feel all of those. And I think part of the thing that I learned when I started following you on Instagram, and then also I started following a lot of like other self help or like just, just self love type Instagram accounts with that, that, you know, push those types of messages. And you you're allowed to have multiple feelings at one time. And I don't right. think that I realized that. Yeah, until my 30s is that you're allowed to you can be all of those things. It doesn't have to be one or the other, you can be an empowered woman, you can have your own life and your own path and your own career and, and also want a man or, you know, a partner in your life as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. I think the tension is really hard for us sometimes. I'm not really sure why we struggle so much to recognize that there are many facets to ourselves yeah. and that we're allowed to have that those multiple emotions mm-hmm. and they do battle a little bit because of course what we all want is to be I am woman hear me roar and I am fine but it's also okay to desire your person yeah. that's that we're wired to be in partnership most of us, I mean, there are very few people who don't want a life partner. And for those who don't, that's great. God love them. But that's not most of us. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe in a way I, I felt like it, it discredited my achievements or the things I had done on my own by Mm -hmm. saying I wanted something else or that I wasn't feeling, you know, satisfied in that element of my life. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think now that I am in a relationship that I really, you know, feel is, is good for me and that I feel comfortable in is that that is just one part of my life. It doesn't, it doesn't qualify all of the other great parts of my life. It's just another thing. Mm -hmm. It's just another part. And so I'm really happy and grateful that I got to struggle with those things on, on my own for as long as I did. I was single for 10 years. Mm Mm-hmm. And in the best, you know, the best part of my life, like everyone, I think, looks back and says, you know, 20s and 30s is the time to kind of do your traveling and meet people and do all of those things. So I'm, I'm grateful that I that I got to do that and struggle with those things, you know, on my own. And and I didn't have to do it in a partnership, because I think there are a lot of other women and not to say that that's wrong. But it certainly is harder to to do that when you're already committed to a relationship. Yes, I completely agree. And it's something that I try to express as well, that that 10 years for you or 20 years for someone else or 30 years, whatever yeah. it is. And it's so hard in the moment because I'm sure there were those dark moments in the, during those 10 years where you resisted. You didn't want this. You wanted to have that partnership kick in. But now looking back with your hindsight being 2020, I don't know if we'll ever say 2020 in the same way. <laughs> That's a sidebar. We can go in that direction another time. <laughs> yeah. But with your hindsight being 2020 to see what that individual 
intrapersonal work that you did when you had to pick yourself up, dust yourself off. You didn't have anyone to do that for you. You had to be by yourself, meeting your own emotional needs, taking care of your own emotional growth and development. You look back and you go, there was an element of that that I could not have done in partnership. Now, for someone who gets married at 22 and they do that in partnership, that's their journey. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. But what I'm always trying to encourage single women to honor and value and even kind of give themselves a little pat on the back. Like Mm -hmm. I did that stuff on my own. That is, that is, that's not everyone's path. I did it solo. Other people had the support of someone who was with them by their side and that's their journey. Okay, cool. But there's something kind of unique and cool about this path. And I love how you articulated it. Thank you. Yeah. And I, for me, and I think I, I wrote this into you, But for me, the thing that really gave me confidence and made me feel, I'll use that word again, empowered, was traveling by myself. Yes. And I I don't know if other people have done this, but that was the thing for me that just really kind of set me on fire was traveling alone. And I traveled, I traveled to my graduate program. It was a summer program for teachers. And so I went to Oregon for two weeks for my classes. The rest of the year was online. Mm -hmm. And around those two weeks, I, for three summers, I did a lot of other traveling. I went to San Francisco. I went to Montana and spent a week on a ranch. I went to New York and New York City and then upstate New York. I took a painting class at an artist colony in Woodstock for a couple, for a couple weeks. So just a lot of different experiences and meeting a lot of cool people. For my 30th birthday, I backpacked around England and Scotland for a couple of weeks. So just just a lot of cool experiences. And all of those things showed me that I didn't need someone else, even if I wanted someone else. Like I had so much fun and was able to really create my own schedule and not have to worry about what other people wanted to eat or see. And I was so happy to just be in my own company. And I think a a lot of people don't, don't really get friendly with themselves in that way, you know, and I'm, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying like, this is what it was for me was that discovering that I could have a really amazing time on my own. I didn't need anyone else. So for me, like I said, for me, it was travel. That is so powerful and empowering. I I love everything you said about that. I love that you showed yourself you could do scary things. You could yeah. go scary places there where you knew no one. Mm-hmm. And you could do that solo. I mean, yeah. a lot of people are... Even adults, you know, in their 40s, 50s, 60s are still uncomfortable walking into a room by themselves. And I get that. It, it is. It's uncomfortable. It's okay to, to face uncomfortable things, though. And, and you showed yourself you could do it. I mean, and that's the only way that we build self-esteem. You know, people, yeah. you know, I'm a developmental psychologist, so a lot of research on how to build kids' self-esteem. And there's really, you can't be handed self-esteem no matter how no. much your parents love you. You have to just challenge yourself in ways that are scary. And you did that. And I love that you bring that now into your relationship because it is something, again, you couldn't have done that with a partner Yeah, and how that built your confidence and it helped you. I love the distinction. You know, I talk about it all the time. You, you realize that you didn't need a man. You didn't need a partner. 
you could still want one, but you didn't need one. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, even if you don't have the means of traveling, something as simple as going out to eat at a sit down restaurant by yourself. Mm hmm. That, that's kind of honestly where it started for me was that was something I was really scared to do alone mm-hmm. was I felt like I had to have a date to go to a restaurant. And so I was missing out on all of these experiences because I felt like I had to have a friend or a date to go to go somewhere with. And so I started going to restaurants by myself. And then when I got into this graduate program, I was traveling. So then by the time I was traveling alone, I could also go to New York City and go out to eat by myself. And that wasn't scary. So then, you know, it was kind of stair stepping up from eating, eating alone in my small little town, and then going to New York City by myself and being able to eat there by, you know, so it sounds it sounds stupid, but just little tests like that to kind of push Mm -hmm. yourself out of your comfort zone, I think are really important. Yeah. I don't think it sounds stupid at all. There's a lot of people who won't go to a movie by themselves. Yeah. Oh my God. I love going to a movie by myself. I know. (laughs) I I had no problem with that because like I get all the popcorn. There's no fight about which movie we're seeing. It's the one I want to watch. Yeah. But those are really empowering. They, like you said, they sound like, it's kind of simple, but they're not. And they make a huge difference. And again, it's something that, and I always try to encourage people to remember that this time, because sometimes people go 10 years, it feels like it's wasted time because I wanted to be in relationship and I wanted, this isn't the timeline that I was scripted out for myself if I had tried to plan this out when I was 15, but it's never wasted time. And it's always something that you are flexing your own Uh, emotional and psychological muscles. And it sounds almost counterintuitive, but all that good work we do alone makes us a better partner. Absolutely. Yeah. I think if I hadn't done that, I have a tendency to be, I think in my like weakest state, pretty needy. And, you know, there are some other things about my personality that, you know, little kinks that needed to be worked out. And if I hadn't had that time, I think I wouldn't, you know, I could still be in a relationship. And that's the other thing is I was always like, when will I have done enough work Mm -hmm. on myself to be ready for a relationship? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's just when it happens, it happens. But yeah, I think if I hadn't done that work, I would not be as pleasant to be (laughs) in a partnership. (laughs) We'll ask your boyfriend about that. (laughs) No. Okay. So there's another tension there. And that's something else that I try to tease out with, with the stuff that I post and, and so forth in my writing is that there's a lie that a lot of experts, quote unquote, will say, which is until you do your work, you won't meet him as if mm-hmm. you have utter control. And it's yeah. just because you, my friend, have not done your work. And I'm always laughing because I'm like, so the people who got married at 21, 22 somehow did all this work yeah. emotionally that we didn't do. I know. Right. So it, there's the tension of, yes, do the work. Of course, you're going to be stronger emotionally and you'll be wiser and you'll be a better partner. But let's not also act like it's so formulaic. It's not, it's not, it's not that until you check off all this, this work boxes and the syllabus and this class of love that you somehow are far behind and everyone else who got married young, they were ahead of you. It's, it's just, it's illogical, but it's, again, it's another 
way that people try to control it because yeah. we so desperately want to control these things, mm-hmm. which I get. And again, people like you and me were like, yeah, give me the syllabus. I'm here right. for the class. I got this. <laughs> and it exactly. doesn't work that way. Yes, I'm very much a perfectionist and a, like a type A personality. And I kind of get the feeling that you are too. I don't know. <laughs> but, I have some tendencies. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's absolutely like I wanted to check all the boxes and just get to the end of the test where, you know, I got my A. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, it doesn't really work that way <laughs> no it doesn't and it's unfortunately it's so frustrating yeah. Yeah, it is so frustrating yeah. because I mean and I always tell now when I wrote the first version of my book I was still single I was I was in my late 30s and I'd caught off the wedding and then another the Dylan thing and that went on for too long and and so when I first started writing my book I didn't have this nice little happily ever after and then when I did I thought okay I'm going to share my story and I can say maybe some people, because everyone's story is valid and, and will resonate with different people. But I knew that some people might even feel a little bit more, I don't know, excited to hear my story that I did stick to my guns. And yeah, I was 42 when I got married, which people don't want to wait till 42 usually. But I can say with certainty that it wasn't anything I was doing per se. My husband was married to someone else. Like, right. like I could, what, there was nothing I could have done in my apartment right. in Chicago if I just read one more self-help book or done one more personal growth and development webinar exactly. that suddenly would have ushered my husband, the love of my life, my person. He wasn't coming my way until he came my way. Right. I couldn't have controlled that. Same with yours. Right. Right? I mean, my, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about this. Yeah. Is, you know, my boyfriend, current boyfriend is, or is going through a divorce right now. So, and we've been friends for five or six years. So yeah, it all just happens in its own time. And I, I did sound, I want to slap myself (laughs) from two years prior because it sounds so cliche and awful, but it just happens when it happens. Yeah. And I don't think you need to slap yourself though. I know what you're saying because it's, it it can come across to someone who isn't where you are, right? Who's still in that season of frustration. It could sound like, oh, what's meant to be will be. And just when it's supposed to happen. And those are cliches that people say because they don't know what else to say. And they're frustrated for you too when you're frustrated. And I get that they come from a pure place, but they usually fall very flat or they fall actually when I was in that season, it would almost feel like, you know what? Keep your pat answers to yourself. I really don't need to hear that. It's not helpful. And I mean, I struggle now with things like, you know, how do I talk to my single friends? And you and I have also talked about my friendships. It's not that they're taking a back seat, but my friendships have changed. Mm-hmm. In that the women who I'm friends with who are single, a couple of them have voiced that they're jealous or, and I hate that because I want to say, listen, I understand you. Right. Like I, I, I'm not do, I feel like I'm doing something mean to them. Mm-hmm. And, and so again, I'm feeling this, like this duality in myself. Like I want to, I want to connect with my friends who are still single, but everything that comes out of my mouth sounds like a cliche. Um, and, and you do that, you do this so well, because I never once got that feeling from anything that you've posted on Instagram or anything that you say in your podcast. So I applaud you because oh, I feel like I'm now doing it wrong. And of course, I don't have a psychology degree. But 
you know, like when I'm talking to my, my single friends, I feel like things that I'm saying are just kind of falling, you know, like I'm not, I'm just not saying the right things. but yeah, yeah. you're probably doing better than you think. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it, there's, that's the thing that there really is nothing to say. Yeah. And that's why I wrote my book was because I was so tired. I felt like so many other books in the self-help section were basically just saying the wrong thing the entire book, assuming that people have utter control over their love life trajectory. And we just don't. And no one wants to admit that because it doesn't sell. You know, what sells is here's my five-step plan, buy my book, buy my program, hire me as a coach. All those things sell because people are feeling deeply lonely and they will throw down a couple thousand yes. dollars for a per because if they're if they're like okay this person has the secret they have the magic bullet the secret sauce right. and so I, yeah it's just hard it's hard it's but hard. i i think it's you sharing your story mm-hmm. i always try to be careful sharing because I know most of my community is made up of single women and I don't want to share too much of Dan. Oftentimes I'll be like, Oh, I don't want to put a picture of Dan because I don't want them. If they're in that lonely moment, they're like, Oh, there's Karen and her happy marriage. But I find actually the opposite happens more so with my community. And it's kind of surprised me that many people that I'm interacting with, especially on Instagram are saying things like, no, it's inspiring to know that even you know, I'm 38 now and I didn't think I'd still be single or I'm 42 now and I didn't think I'd still be single, but you did wait. So there's that tension there too, right? Do I, do we share, Hey, I I had to go through that season two and really true love is worth the wait and all these things. Or do we go, um, I don't, I, I, I shouldn't talk too much about my current relationship because I don't want it to seem as if I'm being insensitive to where you are right. and then you're you're saying no I can't be insensitive to where you were I was there for a long long time so there's yeah, yeah it's, it's it's there's a lot and it is a very sensitive subject we women most of us deeply want that to be seen and to be understood and to have our person who gets us and that is a deep deep desire yeah so it's it, yeah. it's part of yeah it's part of just where you are in your journey which is now trying to maintain those friendship bonds which is something I want to yeah. talk about more in the podcast because yeah. I've talked a little bit about friendships but I think there's a lot more room because women mm-hmm. we feel our friendship hurts and heartaches very deeply as well absolutely and I think I've moved around a lot. Like I said, I've been, you know, was in Iowa for a couple years. I have a lot of friends from graduate school. I feel like I've had a lot of friendship breakups as well as like man breakups. (laughs) And sometimes the friendship breakups are more heartbreaking than the the relationship breakups. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would like to hear more about, you know, how, how women's relationships can change throughout the different phases of life. Like when I was single and was friends with mostly women who were married with children. And even now, you know, I'm still technically, you know, I'm not married, but yeah, you know, it's hard when other in your, all of your other friends are married and have kids and husbands and are doing their own thing. And I always felt kind of like the tag along, Mm -hmm. you know, going to Memorial day barbecues or Fourth of July, or you know, and name a holiday, and I was alone and tagging along with someone else, right, to their family event, and you know that that is hard, and and just feeling like you know you don't really belong any one particular place. 
and and sometimes those friendships can dissolve you know once once you become in a relationship because you're spending more time with with your partner as opposed to you know focusing on friends yeah that's something i definitely want to cover more in depth If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the work with me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns. We'll target limiting beliefs and thought patterns. We'll learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood. We'll identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals. And we'll together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you. So going back to you were talking about travel and how that was such an exhilarating and confidence boosting endeavor that you set out to travel alone. So let's talk about the the mindset and travel. I know that there were times when I was single and I would be traveling. I did a lot of traveling with my mom, which was really fantastic. We went to to Europe many times and all kinds of great things. But there was a tendency, and this is something I had to talk through to myself. I, the first couple of times I did it, I just slapped myself up the head and, and told myself to knock it off. So that was good. But but initially there were a couple of times where I'd be like, Oh, Paris, it'd be great to be here with my fiance or my, right. So, and you know, it's interesting. So here's what worked for me. I was with, I was traveling with my mom with a group of children's librarians. So yes, (laughs) children's librarians, not the sexiest crowd that you would think of necessarily. I'm sure they're super creative and and hilarious in their own way though. Oh, they are. Yeah. And they're all, you know, big readers. So they're, they're geeks like me. Mm -hmm. And, but so it was mostly women. And, um, and in fact, I don't think there were any men that ever traveled with us. Every once in a while, a husband would tag along. Yeah. But I remember being there in my late twenties and all these women and they were, they were curious. They were obviously intellectuals. And, and I remember there were a couple widows and they were young widows. And I remember one day having this little pity party for myself, like, oh, I should be traveling Europe with my husband. I'm 28 <laughs> or whatever I was saying to myself. And I look over at one of these women who was widowed at like 38 or 40, something horrible like that. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, you could meet some guy, get married, have some great travels, and then be widowed at 40 and then here you'd be again. So are you going to sit here and act like everything is less than every experience isn't as exciting because you're by yourself or you're with your mom and a bunch of kitty lit ladies, (laughs) you know, when we minimize our current reality, it's, Oh, it's just criminal. It's criminal to do to ourselves. So did you have any of those moments when you were traveling and how did you, what what sort of things did you tell yourself to knock it off? (laughs) I remember. So when I went to New York city, this was my first time traveling by myself, like a big trip. And so I was in New York city and I had decided that I was going, I saw two Broadway shows, plays, and then I saw, I went to see the New York Philharmonic. And before I went to see the New York Philharmonic, I went to a restaurant that was in the, the same building where the, the concert was being held. 
And when I, I had, of course, made all of my dinner reservations, you know, weeks in advance. So I had my table for one set aside. And when I got up to the the hostess station to, to, you know, claim my table, the hostess who was very, you know, young and posh and, and beautiful was like, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't have anyone by that name. Are you, are you with someone else? Like, and, and there was this whole big production of, you know, who was I with and who was I supposed to be eating? And I had eating with, and I had to say multiple times that, no, I was by myself. And, and I got to my table finally, and was just like, oh my God, this was humiliating. And I just right. felt so embarrassed. And there was this table of two, two women kind of kitty corner from me. And as you know, I had given my order to the waiter. And as I was waiting, I was having a little drink and these women started talking to me and we had the, the best conversation. And I don't think that would have happened if I had been with a date. Right. And and so many things while, while I've been traveling in Europe and in the United States, just so many opportunities have come my way that I would never have had if I was with someone else. When I went to, I mentioned going to a ranch in Montana, mm-hmm. I met a couple of women, good friends who were traveling together, and the three of us kind of became friends. And one of them lived in San Francisco, which is where I was traveling after I was in Montana and she invited me to go wine tasting with her in Napa. And so she picked me up from my Airbnb and her 1968 convertible VW bug. And we <laughs> went, we drove through wine country together, you know, with the top down. And that would never have happened if I was there right. with a boyfriend. It would it just wouldn't have happened. So I have so many examples of instances like that where just really unique, one one of a kind, never would have happened things that just came my way because I was available to make these kinds of connections with people. That's kind of the cool thing for me is just being available to see what happens and and to to make friendships and to make new connections with with people that you wouldn't normally you know be able to to do that with. Yeah, that is really, I I think anyone who has traveled solo has so many stories like that. And it's just another, another facet of life that if we don't take that risk to travel solo, we we won't have that experience. And it really is pretty cool, but it takes some courage. And it's great that you did that. And you have, like you said, you had that 10 years to do that and to explore that and really show yourself what you're made of and probably surprise yourself at times with how the boldness and the confidence that you were able to gain. So talk a little bit about some of the other dating pitfalls or the advice you would give now, some deal breakers or red flags. Yeah. I mean, okay. Well, one of the, I I think it was the kind of dating situation that I was in. This was like right after my 30th birthday, I had been on a, on probably about five or six dates with this guy And I thought everything was great. You know, I had met his dog, like he brought his dog over to my apartment, like we had gone to Costco together. One of our dates was a Costco (laughs) date we went, which sounds really dorky. But you know, we I thought everything was just going wonderfully. And then out of nowhere, I just stopped hearing from him. Mm. Totally ghosted. And 
that really sent me into a downward spiral. I this is when I started going to therapy again mm-hmm. with my current therapist. I've been with him for two years, but that's where it kind of all started. This journey for me was, you know, the two weeks after I was ghosted mm-hmm. were really intense. And like, I couldn't understand why I had thought things had gone so well. And we had connected so well for the five or six dates that we had gone on. And then out of nowhere, I just, you know, he wouldn't answer my texts, he wouldn't answer my calls. You know, he had gone out of town for the holiday, and I just never heard from him again. Mm-hmm. And so after that, you know, it it kind of shocked me into a sense of, it, in a negative way, like self-protection, self-preservation. And I, you know, it wasn't necessarily a good thing, but then I worked, I worked, I had to work through that. And, you know, something I talked a lot about with my therapist was, you know, not every guy that you date is going to be that person. And so you, you know, I had my kind of, red flashing, like, alert lights going in my brain and in my body. So when I was meeting someone new, because the next the next guy that I dated, I actually dated for six months. He was such a sweet guy. But I I had to kind of retrain myself to trust and to to know that someone wasn't just gonna leave at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we did break up because you know, I, I wanted to have kids and, and he didn't want to have more children, but it ended in a way that was under, like, it made sense to me in my brain, you know? And I think that's what needed to happen was something, something to end that wasn't because of a personality flaw of mine. You know, mm-hmm. it was my choice to say, listen, I, I can't deal with what, you know, like the thing that you're saying isn't going to work for you. On, on my side isn't going to work for me either, you know, so it just was a parting of ways. And it, it was that situation that kind of, it gave me the confidence to move forward, because it wasn't something necessarily, like I said, that was wrong with me, it was just, I was standing my ground, and he was standing his ground. And even though we really loved each other, and we thought, you know, we had found a great person, it wasn't the right person. And so in a weird way, that that breakup gave me um, the confidence to to kind of say, hey, I'm I'm pretty cool and I'm I'm worth, you know, you know, I'm worth fighting for. It's just it wasn't that situation. That wasn't my situation. And after that, I did date a couple of other people that also didn't work out. But, you know, it just kind of timed out that that I was single when when this great guy that I had worked with already for six years was single and and now we're living together and so yeah it's just it's very unpredictable that's all I'll say (laughs) this is interesting the way that you explained that because you know you said that being with the guy who had the kids and there was this deal breaker. It was a deal breaker for him. He didn't want any more. And it was deal breaker for you because you wanted kids. And then, and that was the epiphany essentially, because it was clearly, it was not about Kate. It was not a problem with Kate. And here's the thing. It was never about you. Any of those other breakups, the the guy who ghosted you, it wasn't about Mm -hmm. you. It wasn't, 
and you said it clearly with the with the guy with the kids it was like clearly it wasn't anything wrong with me there was right. nothing wrong with me and here's because the thing there was never Right. But here's the thing, all those other relationships, there had never been anything wrong with you either. But what happens is in those relationships, because there's not that tangible deal breaker, there's a deal breaker for him, a deal breaker for you. What happens is we start to construct because we, we, our, our brains tell ourselves stories. Yes. Yeah. And we construct an explanation, which has to do with something that we screwed up, Mm -hmm. whether it's a character trait or some fundamental flaw. I've said that to myself (laughs) a million times. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the thing. And we lie to ourselves with this story. Yeah. I'm so glad that a breakup that was painful was also at the same time this aha moment that allowed you to finally see it's not about me. I'm like you said, I'm pretty cool. And that's one of the things I try to communicate to my community as well. It's never about us. It's not that there's anything wrong, quote unquote, with us. Mm -hmm. It's just not the right fit, which is easy to say when you find the right fit, you go, oh, now I get why it never worked out with anyone else. But and that's then that's a struggle and it's a challenge. So I'm I mean it's a very interesting way for you to have finally come to that realization. Yeah. But another example of how a breakup can be the worst thing and yet also the best thing. Yeah, and I think it had to be something logical for me mm-hmm. to understand it because otherwise mm-hmm. it would have been too abstract. Right. It had to be something that like you said tangible. Mm-hmm. He didn't want kids, more kids and I did want kids. Because otherwise you would have, you would have dreamt up some explanation, whether it was your butt or whether yeah, it was like, exactly. oh, and that one time I said that and I should have said this instead. I mean, right. Like, yeah. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram where I post original quotes, infographics, and I tackle trending topics in my love smarter, not harder IGTVs. On Insta, you can find me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Karen Anderson Averill and on Twitter at Dr. Karen Anderson. Tell us a little bit about listening to your gut along the way, which, you know, is a big, I'm a big fan of that. And I'm excited to dig into more intuition research because I think psychologists are doing more and more. And I can't wait to uncover some more of that to share with my community. But what have you learned about listening to your gut along the way? I think I've had a few relationships where I wanted to really question myself because I wanted it to work out so badly Mm -hmm. when I was dating actually a, a guy that I dated or that I had known in high school. And he and I had connected over Instagram and he lived in Colorado and he was, you know, super cute and just was hiking on the weekends. And he invited me to come out and visit him and, you know, took me to a concert at the Red Rocks Amphitheater. And, you know, we, we talked for a really long time and it was long distance. And I wanted it to work out so badly that I was explaining away a lot of bad behavior got to the point where all of my friends were like, listen, we're not talking to you anymore. If you continue, like, I hate, I hate it where it gets to that point, because I've been in the opposite situation where like roommates from college, you know, you shouldn't be dating this person, but it got to that point with me. And, (laughs) And so I had ignored it long enough and was trying to explain it away long enough. And it got to the point where I was hurt, you know, really hurt. And at that point, I was like, okay, I just need to block him. I need to not talk with him anymore. This clearly isn't a match. 
And so when I broke ways, I still felt longing for him. But then in other relationships, I kind of learned from that experience. And so the current relationship that I'm in, when it first started, he was kind of in a place where he had just gotten a divorce or was just going through a separation and was being a little tentative. And so that kind of alert siren that I had talked about with my therapist was kind of going off. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, I was feeling like tension, like, oh, I should, I should probably just leave. You know, I should probably abandon this because I'm feeling that twinge of like, he's not sure, which I had felt with this Colorado guy, or, you know, mm-hmm. I felt with, you know, the guy who ghosted me. And my therapist had said, you know, hey, don't give up on this. He said, and my mom actually echoed this too. So I got to give a shout out to my mom. But, (laughs) you know, she said, don't ask for advice right now. Turn off your phone. Don't text your friends. (laughs) And just kind of go with the flow. Just have fun and see what happens. And so, you know, my, my current boyfriend and I, we went fishing and he wanted to go up to visit my grandparents together. And, and so we did those kinds of things. And I didn't ask for advice. I just did what felt right. And I didn't push anything. I didn't, you know, I didn't try to assign meaning to things. We were just having fun. And we had already been friends for a while. So I think that was a little bit easier for me. Mm -hmm. Because we had already established a friendship. So going to a flea market or, you know, the fishing trip that we took, it didn't have to be anything other than we were hanging out as friends. But in that time where I wasn't asking for advice, that's kind of when I started feeling like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have to be scared right now because I think this connection goes beyond those feelings of being nervous. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have to be scared about it. I don't have to assign meaning to it right now. I can just kind of let it be what it is. And eventually it, it evolved into something where he and I were both like, yeah, we can't ignore this anymore. We do want this to be something more than a friendship. And so when I was dating all of those other guys, I was constantly reaching out for advice and, and reaching out to friends, which I think is great that people should be able to do that. And I hope that I can be that friend to other people, to other women too. You know, like, I think it's good that we have people that we can ask advice from, but I think it's also important that we listen to our gut and just, Mm -hmm. you know, I was reading Glennon Doyle's book and she said, feel how it feels in your gut, in your stomach. Does it feel right or does it feel wrong? And if it feels right, keep going in that direction. And so, you know, with this period of time where I wasn't asking for advice, I just kept going in that direction and it ended up being the right thing. And I actually, I talked to a couple of friends after I had been kind of quote, officially dating Brad for a couple of weeks. And they were like, well, we didn't know you didn't tell us. And I was like, sorry, I wasn't, you know, saying anything or I wasn't really telling anybody because I was just kind of focused on feeling my feelings. And that's, yeah. that's what it took for me to, to get to that place where I was comfortable with it. I was thinking while you were sharing that a couple of things. One is that I get so many questions and it would be someone like your counterpart who's in those first couple of weeks of this, what is this relationship? Yeah. And they'll ask me questions 
basically like, what is this? And how do I figure out what this is? And how do I figure out what's going on with him? And are we going to be anything? Or when are we going to be exclusive? And all these kinds of questions, Mm -hmm. which are understandable to have. Of course, you're going to have them in your head. But we so often want answers for things we that we just don't have the answers for yet. We have to we have to be in that space. We have to listen to our guts. We have to just take the time to gather information. Mm -hmm. And it drives us crazy because we're all control freaks. And we want to just know, like, I don't want to go on with him anymore. If this is not going to work out, I don't want to continue going fishing and doing these things. And having this energy that feels like more than friends, but goodness, he's just getting out of a marriage. So what if I'm a rebound, all those kinds of things. And it's natural to want that. But if you've been asking your friends for all that information, they don't have any answers either, right? And so I I think (laughs) friends too would err on the side of of caution and say, yeah, of course he's on a rebound, you know? And if I had listened to that, I wouldn't be where I am now. And it's not to say that they would have been wrong because I probably would have given that advice the same way. But Mm -hmm. the advice doesn't matter so much as what you feel. Yeah. And that feeling of, yeah, I, you know, when I'm quiet with myself and I just really focus on the emotions in my body, do I feel safe when I'm with this person? Do I feel seen when, I, when I'm with this person? Those, those types of things mean more than, than kind of the outside static that comes in. Mm-hmm. It's all the stuff that Ken Page talks about in his book, Deeper Dating. And yeah. when I interviewed him, it's just all about, like you said, oh. that safety that are you seen are your core gifts, yeah. who you are, are they valued and honored by your partner? And when you feel that they are and you sense that they are, you do feel a security that's like nothing you've ever felt before. Yeah. And that really is what you're talking about, that's when your gut's saying this is okay. Even though, sure, the circumstances are a little crazy, like, wait, the marriage isn't even over and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff that, but I mean, all we all know, and this was true of my husband as well, is that when a marriage is beginning to break down, it can be years of disconnecting yep. such that when the, the ink is dried on those divorce papers, the detachment, the couple may have detached 10 years before or mm-hmm three years before or whatever, depending on how long they were together. So we can't look at the outside circumstances and crunch the numbers. But like you said, your friends are protective. And so they would have gone, oh, we don't want Kate to be hurt. This is going to be a rebound. And so, yeah, there is definitely wisdom in. And that was good advice you got from your therapist and your mom to let this be your experience and just sit with the tension and the discomfort of not knowing, but being okay with that. There's discipline in that. And there's an emo- emotional maturity that is necessary to be able to sit with that, which again, maybe you had more so because you'd had that season of being single for so long. I mean, we don't know for sure, but I think it's it's reasonable to think that you had a measure of emotional maturity and ability to sit with that tension that you may not have had if you'd been 22. Yeah. And even if I didn't consciously realize it, I knew the difference between something feeling uncomfortable and something feeling wrong. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I had felt like with the guy who had ghosted me, if I had really been quiet with myself and hadn't been just grappling for advice from my friends, I probably could have answered my own questions and said, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things here that aren't, that are uncomfortable and wrong, you know? And, and in this situation, it was uncomfortable, but it was uncomfortable from my past experiences. 
of being abandoned and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was a rebound or whatever the case may be, but it didn't feel wrong. And so I was able to work through again with the help of my therapist and, and, you know, just being quiet with myself, but I was able to work through those things and get to the point where it was no longer uncomfortable. Okay. That uncomfortable versus being wrong is going to be a post. So just be looking out for it. (laughs) I'll give you credit if you want me to use your name or not, but I, yeah, I'm not going to rip off anyone's material, but I have to share that with my community because that is so good. That's so good. Thanks. So Kate, as we wrap up, I know one other point you mentioned you would want to speak to is embracing your weird. So leave us with a little bit about what that means. Well, so I'm a theater teacher and I just, I actually just got off a Zoom call with my theater kids earlier tonight. We're doing a Shakespeare slam with the Chicago Shakespeare Theater and we just bounce off each other. You know, I always <laughs> in high school have always felt most comfortable with my theater kids because there's very much this improv theater attitude of yes. And you never say no to anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So theater has really allowed me to embrace my weird and I feel safest and most at home when I'm with, with my theater kids and just creating cool stuff together. And you know, my current boyfriend is also a teacher. And so he understands that there are the different kind of groups of kids, like in Mean Girls, they have the different lunch tables, you know, but but he kind of sees all of them. And there's a place for everyone. And I, I feel like I don't have to hide that part of myself. Like it is something that is valuable. And it's something that I can use to connect with the students that I work with at school. And they find it fun and I find it fun. And so now that I have, you know, also have a partner that thinks that I'm cool because I can connect with those kids, like it doesn't seem like a negative thing. Like I'm finally really okay with all of the quote weird parts of me. And travel was a part of being okay with that and feeling like I have mastered the art of like my master's degree in theater also like feeling confident with that helped as well. Yeah, I I feel I feel comfortable and I feel accomplished with all of those different elements of myself. Well, I think the piece that connects back to dating and relationships is just that when you are seen like you said and fully feel like you're with someone who totally gets you, there is a level of comfort where you go wow, I'm, I'm just okay, just exactly how I am. In other relationships, I thought maybe I could show 90% of myself, but that 10% little quirky little part of myself that I reserve for my theater kids, I couldn't yeah. show. But here you, you feel what it feels like to be able to be fully yourself yeah. and accepted. Yeah, And that's a really powerful and it's a beautiful place to be. And it's really the kind of connection that I, I'm hoping that all of us get that everyone in my community will have at some point will arrive to that because I don't think it's really worth it to be in a relationship if you don't have that level of deep connection and intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. And we've all been in, in the, in relationships that haven't been like that. So yeah. So Kate, I want to thank you for hopping on the program and sharing your story. There's so much good stuff here. I'm so happy for you. It's been 
kind of a little treat for me to, to kind of watch this all unfold <laughs> via <Yeah>. our DMs <laughs> and Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, gosh. Yeah. So thanks well, thank again. Thank you for being for, there for me, Karen. I really appreciate oh. it. I love everything that you do and just the support that you have for your community is, is amazing. So thank oh, you. Thank you for that lovely feedback. I appreciate it. The love and life hack for this week is honor your single years, your single season. I know how painful it is and scary even when we're not where we want to be on our journey to love, but every single season is important. It builds into us. It builds into who we are and who we become and who we will be when we do meet our person and enter into partnership. Let's honor that season right now. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. I am so grateful that you've chosen to spend a portion of your day with me and to be a member of my community. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter list, be sure to do that or join me in a support group. There's more information about the groups on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And if you have a second to head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a couple sentences of review, that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. Thanks again, everyone. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.